Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Road to Ivy Madness. And we have hit the uh, final exit of the regular season here, heading into the last weekend of regular season play. And the picture is starting to get at least uh, a little bit clearer in the Ivy League. We can say uh, congratulations to the Princeton women. They have clinched the Ivy League title. They stay undefeated. They're 12-0 in league play. Uh, Penn and Columbia have also locked up Ivy Madness spots on the women's side. On the men's side, Yale and Harvard sweep their weekends to clinch spots in Ivy Madness. Princeton has also clinched an Ivy Madness spot, and Brown and Penn are in the running for the final spot. It's going to be an exciting week. There's some really important games ahead that we'll talk about, and we'll also look back at uh, what happened over the last week with Noah Savage, the former Princeton Tiger, and Megan Perry, the former Cornell Big Red. I am Bill Spaulding. Glad to be with you. Uh, break everything down, get you to know what you need to know in advance of this final week of the regular season and uh, scenarios and everything that, that'll send us toward Ivy Madness now less than two weeks away. All right, so with all of that, let's uh, let's talk headlines. Megan, lead us off your headline from this week. Yeah, well, finally, we're getting the final picture, it seems like, um, as far as Ivy Madness is concerned. Really excited about uh, Columbia and the momentum that they have, as well as Princeton, what they continue to do in dominating just Ivy League play and their landscape on the national scene. Um, and Penn, you know, having themselves back into the conversation towards the top of the standings. Those are my major headlines. Looking forward to digging into more of that soon. All right. And Noah, your headline today? I mean, Yale took care of business at home and Brown really didn't. So now Penn is, is in my opinion, more in the, in the driver's seat, even though they don't control their own destiny fully, they've got the easier road because they go back home and they're going to host Columbia and Cornell. But the swing between Penn and Brown was a huge deal in that fourth place race. All right, well, we're looking forward to really diving deep this episode. When we come back, it'll be uh, Noah and I taking a look at men's basketball. Uh, Megan will be back with us a little bit later on as we dive into the Ivy women's playoff picture with two games for each team to go here still in the regular season. That's as the road to Ivy Madness continues. All right, Noah Savage back with me, Bill Spaulding, and it was a great week of basketball in the Ivy League. Uh, Noah, let's start with Yale. They still lead the standings. They're one game up on Harvard. Of course, they play Harvard head-to-head, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Big weekend for them last weekend, though, getting through Penn and Princeton at home, back-to-back three-point wins. Let's start with the Penn game because on Friday, I mean, they had no business winning that game. 2.53 to go. They were down 10 they hold Penn without a bucket the rest of the way to win 76-73. They forced seven Penn turnovers in the last two minutes and 53 seconds. So you can look at that two ways, Noah. First, obviously yielded everything they could to get back into that game. Well-deserved to kind of boost them toward first. But if Penn ends up missing out on Ivy Madness, this is the game. And this is the two minutes and 53 seconds they can point back to because that's a game that should have been in the pen win column and just got away from them at the end. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to break it down a little bit and, and highlight a couple key plays in that stretch that were both great plays by Yale and bad plays by Penn. All right. So if you, if you think about it, they're up with two minutes left to go and kind of, you could see something happening, but they're still up 142, up 10. Uh, they throw a pass behind Martz. Uh, they foul Gabadon. He goes to the line. Then Penn actually breaks the press when they're up 130 with 132 left to go. Penn to the line, one and one. They miss. And remember, Bill, I've told you, this league is going to come down to free throws. So if Penn just hits one or two of those, that gives him a little bit more breathing room. Now, with all this stuff going wrong, 
Azar Swain makes a great play. You got to highlight this play. He gets on the ball on a loose ball on a scrum and he doesn't call timeout. He doesn't wait to get tied up. He throws it ahead. And when you make a play from the ground like that, that's a great play. So they could have just waited and get tied up and got the ball back. But now you're going against a set defense. All right. The steal that Jalen Gabadon makes where he deflects the ball with his right hand and then somehow knocks it away with his left was an unbelievable play. And then Penn still has a chance to just get it over half court, run out some clock. They break the press finally. They dribble it right up the middle. They throw an impossible pass to A.J. Broder. Nobody catches that pass. They throw it way ahead of him. He catches it by some miracle. And then Eric Monroe blocks it. How does he block that shot, Bill? I mean, first of all, you're still up one, Penn. You're up one. Even if you're A.J. Broder, if it's not a wide-open layup, kick it out, dribble the ball, get it to a good free-throw shooter. You've got a point guard blocking a center shot, and when they review, it ends up being Yale ball. But everything went wrong for Penn, but you've got to give Yale credit for the plays that they made. Yeah, they came through on offense, too, and they needed to there. Uh, really good ball movement in, late in high-pressure situations. Jordan Bruner ends up with the go-ahead dunk with about 13 seconds left to go, and Boy, how good did he play all around? I know we, we talk each week about how many versatile big men there are in this league. How about this stat line for Jordan Bruner? 15 points, six rebounds, six assists, and four steals, plus that go-ahead dunk with 13 seconds left. Yeah, and when he got that dunk, Penn had inbounded the ball in the center of the court for once during that stretch, which is the right thing to do. You just can't get trapped in the middle of the court. And the way that you end up getting trapped is they inbounded it basically – one foot into the court. You've got to throw the ball ahead. You've got to look ahead to the long pass, and that's how you break a press, give Yale a ton of credit for the press and forcing Penn into those trouble areas. But if you're Penn, you got to know, get out and bust it up the court and then kick it out to somebody else. Like they had another play where they broke the press and then somebody tipped it from behind. You've got to know you've got the Wolves ch- chasing you and give credit to Yale for not giving up on those plays. And, uh, you know, Yale's now starting to have a penchant for pulling out games like this. You look back a couple weeks ago to that Cornell game. They were down eight with about two minutes to go, came back and won that one as well. So uh, they have built the confidence now that not only do they think they're the best team in the Ivy League, but they know even when things haven't gone well for, say, 37, 38 minutes, as long as they've got a pulse, they're confident they can find a way to to turn it around. And you have to imagine that's going to loom large during uh, the Ivy tournament presented by TIAA because – you know, you get in a playoff atmosphere like that. Every game is expected to be close and, and they got to be as confident as anybody in the league about finishing off close games. Yeah. And if you look at the, what they did on the defensive end against Penn, it was uncharacteristic for them. They gave up 12, three pointers on 41% shooting. They gave up 48% shooting from the field, which is way above what they usually do. But how do they win that game? It's with the 18 turnovers they forced, many of them late. But that shows their versatility. Maybe they're not having their sharpest defensive game in terms of the scouting report. That's okay. They can make up for it with athletic plays like getting steals and getting blocks. But I'll tell you what, that block by Eric Monroe was unbelievable and was the play of the game, I thought. All right, we could talk about this game all day, but uh, there were a lot of other big games in the Ivy League as well, so let's keep moving on, and let's talk about uh, how Yale then followed that up with the win over Princeton, 66-63. Another close game. They didn't have to turn around a a big deficit late, though. They hung on at the end as Princeton had a couple chances to tie the game but came up empty on a pair of three-pointers. We saw that uh, duo inside be super effective 
for uh, for Yale. Uh, 11 points, 12 rebounds, and a double-double for Jordan Bruner, and then 18 points, 8 rebounds for Paul Atkinson. And, and Yale, as a team, continued to rebound well. They were plus 8 on the glass. Yeah, and you know what? Both teams did a good job of taking away a key player on the other team. Uh, I thought Princeton did a really good job against Azar Swain. He still had the 11 points, but remember, this is a guy who torched the Tigers in the first outing, was hitting threes from all over the court. They forced him into a tough percentage, just four for 11. He only got to the free throw line once and just finished with 11 points. And then on the other end, Richmond Ariguzo had a really tough game, turned it over five times, and three of those were travels in the first half that, you know what, some of them, I don't know if it just looks like a travel or to travel, but either way, the way that Yale was double teaming him, throwing a hand uh, towards him when he was posting up. It kind of had him discombobulated. And you got to give both teams credit when one of your guys isn't performing at that star level that he has all year long. Other guys stepped up. I mean, Paul Atkinson, you can you could pencil him in. He's going to get you 16 to 18 points. He's going to get you 8 to 10 rebounds. 8 for 13 again. This, this game came off the bench because it was senior night. He and Jordan Bruner, again, a spectacular duo. Uh, Bruner with the 11 points with the 12 rebounds and four assists. So versatile for the Yale Bulldogs. And if you compare this game to the first one, Bill, Princeton played a lot better. I mean, they are they are right there. They have two good looks at a three with a chance to tie it late. They've got to gain a lot of confidence from this. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is your matchup in the Ivy League championship game. Princeton has locked up a spot in the Ivy tournament, eight and four on the year. Yale still controls its destiny to win the Ivy League title at 10 and two. To do that, though, they'll have to get through Harvard. The Crimson have now won six in a row. They're now nine and three. Uh, And, you know, they have an eight point win over Columbia, nine point win over Cornell. And I think the story of this week can be told really in two similar facets, depth, and bench scoring. So let's start with bench scoring. That was the key in the Columbia game. They got 46 bench points led from 19 points from Rio Haskett and 15 off the bench from Chris Led- Ledlam. Yeah, and if you haven't seen Chris Ledlam play yet, he's just another excellent player that, you know, Coach Amaker just goes out. He does a great job recruiting. And even though they've already got a ton of great players, he's always reloading. He And Chris Ledlam is really strong and really confident. And those are the two, as well as a great shooter. And, and for me, he puts a lot of pressure on the defense, and he's a similar player to Danilo Juricic, who also came off the bench and had a good game uh, in, in the fact that they're interior players, but they're really, really good shooters from downtown. Yeah, and, you know, the, the thing about this this Harvard team, getting that depth from its bench and with guys like Chris Levin, with Rio Haskett, um, you know, coming into this year, maybe it wasn't necessarily a thought that it was going to be super necessary, but obviously as, as things have gone with players who are available and who aren't, they've needed that depth. And, you know, these are guys who've just gotten better and better as the year goes on. Early in the year when I talked to Harvard coaches, they loved Chris Ledlam's potential and he had some big games, but also some games where he didn't make a big impact. And on top of that, they kind of thought, okay, super athletic, has the skills. Sometimes he's a bull in the China shop, doesn't quite know the nuances of the college game yet. You know, now we're almost 30 games into the year. Harvard's played 27 games. You can see that he's really picked up a lot of those nuances. He's picked up that experience, and and he's not playing like a kid who's new to college basketball anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not a coach, but I know that as a player and as a teammate, I would rather have a guy come into college really confident, and you kind of have to you know, pull him back a little bit than someone who's going to come in timid and act like they're a freshman. So for me, I love Chris Ledlam's attack mode where he comes in and he's like, you're going to have to guard me. And yeah, he might come in and miss some threes and have to go to the bench and come back, you know, into the game later. 
but I love that he's so aggressive. I love his shooting ability. Uh, he's got a really strong body, but I think as he matures and grows and gets a little bit stronger, he's going to be really scary for a long time in this league. Uh, and then you saw Harvard's overall depth in the, in the game against Cornell. Uh, no one scored more than 12, but they had eight players score at least six. So that was the key in beating Cornell. The other area where they've continued to perform well, and really especially after those close losses early in Ivy League play, uh, they, they got back to the basics of what has been a good Harvard team over the last decade. They have been physical inside. They've played tough defense, and they rebound the basketball incredibly well. They were plus 10 on the glass against Columbia, plus 8 against Cornell. You match kind of the the, the size and strength of Chris Lewis. But even you, you look at other positions, like Robert Baker plays a guard position sometimes. He's six foot eleven with a crazy wingspan. Uh, Justin Bassey sometimes playing point guard. He's 6'5 and, and thick. So Harvard's big and physical everywhere, and that allows them to kind of wear down opponents as games go on as well. Yeah, and when you look at going into the Ivy tournament and Ivy Madness, a couple of the things that you look at as as how do you win so many close games? Uh, they shot a high free throw percentage, 78%. They made threes, 43% in that game, and then had a positive assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, actually, that's not true. Not a positive assist-to-turnover ratio, but you had a lot of guys getting involved, passing the basketball, Kirkwood, Bassey, and Haskett, each with two assists. Uh, you know, that's the type of game you've got to play. They've got to limit those turnovers, especially when you're talking about playing potentially a Yale team who can really turn you over, as we highlighted earlier. All right. And now let's talk about the one other game last week that maybe looms larger than any in terms of the race for who's actually going to be in Cambridge in a couple weeks at the Ivy tournament. And that was Penn over Brown on Saturday. Penn entered that game coming off the loss to Yale where they let it get away from them. And I mean, things could have really spiraled on the Quakers. Instead, they were a game back at Brown. They pulled it together. They win 73-68. And they almost had to push away flashbacks of the night before. They had a nine-point a nine point lead with two minutes left. Brown got it back to three with 43 seconds left. But this time, Penn hung on. They made enough plays late and uh, picked up that huge win to put them at six and six, tied with Brown for fourth. Brown, they had two stretches this weekend where they just went on scoring droughts. And missed a lot of shots against Princeton. It was a huge drought. It was a, an eternity, it seemed like, in the second half. But against Penn, it was just a matter of missing open shots, I thought. You know, they didn't particularly shoot the ball uh, that well from downtown. Just eight from 29. And Zach Hunsaker was really good and really aggressive. But he did miss some shots that he's going to look at the tape and go, man, that was an open three I could have made. Here's another one. And then Brandon Anderson went two from 10 from downtown as well. So you have to credit uh, the Penn defense with limiting those guys. But if you look at the line of Tom and Ang Cho, as well as AJ Broder, I mean, these are incredible lines. Tom and Ang Cho at 20 points, 12 rebounds, six assists. And then AJ Broder, 28 and seven. I mean, are you kidding me? That type of production out of two bigs in the Ivy league. I think we really have to talk about AJ Broder uh, this weekend, because even though, it got lost in the loss against uh, against Yale the night before. He was unbelievable in that game against the Bulldogs as well. I mean, he had uh, 25 points. He had seven assists. He continues to be one of the best assist men in the Ivy League from a, a post position. Uh, and he was super efficient all week, too. It's not like he racked up a ton of shots to get there. Here's a guy who's playing his final weeks of college basketball and doesn't want that run to end and realizes now, I think, that 
you know, if, if Penn's going to make Ivy Madness, a lot of it's going to be on him. And he stepped up in a couple of his best games of the year uh, this weekend. Yeah. And, you know, just to highlight how important passing is, Bill, there was a couple plays where he's on a drive or he's on a little uh, roll off a pick and roll where the help actually gets out of the way because they think he's going to kick it out to shooters. So the fact that he's such a good passer sometimes makes it easier for his own offense. And the lesson in that is if, if you're a young player is if you actually give it up a little bit more, you're going to be able to score more. And I, I just, I, I've seen that from guards that are, that are past first guards a, a ton of times over the years, but I don't know how many times I've seen that from a big guy where the help is actually running out of the way when he's driving because they're more afraid of his kickout ability than of his scoring. Just what a player. And he had a great game again. Another guy I want to shout out is Eddie Scott, who had a monster, monster jam on the break. He had two sick dunks, but he had one that was off the right foot with two hands where it seemed like he just glided up to the top of his peak and threw it down with two hands. What a player off the bench. Yeah, I mean, uh, this... The, the bench play, in my opinion, honestly, is going to be the key down the stretch this week. There are so many top-tier players on all of these teams that are going to end up at Ivy Madness. Who gets production from guys deeper down their rotation? And, you know, that's been a big issue for Brown. If we if we put one final touch on Brown before looking ahead to next week, uh, Bears really haven't gotten enough bench scoring this year. And that was a, a huge, huge factor in their loss to uh, Penn. They only got six bench points the entire game. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know... Jalen Gady also at the center position is an unbelievable rebounder, great block shots, but I think he could do a little bit more on the offensive end, putting pressure on the defense just by rolling to the bucket, getting some tip-ins as well as, uh, you know, making those athletic plays on the offensive end, not just on the defensive end. But when you look at 21, 20 and 14 for the top three guys for Brown, you just need a couple other guys to step up and score to make life easier on Hunsaker, Cho, and Anderson. All right, so here's the Ivy standings heading into the final week. Two games left for everybody. You got Yale at 10-2, and two, Harvard at 9-3, and three, Princeton at 8-4. and four. Those three teams are safely in Ivy Madness. Then it's Penn at 6-6, six and six, Brown at 6-6, six and six, tied for fourth. And hey, don't completely sleep on Dartmouth at 5-7, one game back. They need a lot to go right, but they have the ability still to possibly play their way into Ivy Madness. Cornell's been eliminated at 3-9, and nine, though they've played much better basketball lately. And Columbia might be the best 1-11 team in Ivy League history. They've lost some, some close games as well. Uh, so that sets up this week. And let's start with that battle for uh, the final spot. Uh, Dartmouth would need to sweep both Yale and Brown and need some serious help. They'd probably need Brown to lose to Harvard. They would need uh, at least one of Columbia and Cornell, if not both Columbia and Cornell, to beat Penn. So their odds are the longest. So with that, let's focus in on um, Penn and Brown and a couple of the key games for them. Let's, Let's start with Brown. They go to Dartmouth on Friday, followed up with Harvard on Saturday. Or excuse me. Excuse me. They go to they go to Harvard Friday and then they they play at Dartmouth Saturday. Let's let's focus on that Brown Harvard game because remember Brown won that game. That was Harvard's last loss when they played uh, about a month ago, and it was on a buzzer beating and one play for Tomanang Cho. Uh, you know it's a big game for both teams. Brown needs it to get to Ivy Madness. Harvard needs it to set up a winner take all situation against Yale on Saturday. Uh, who do you who do you look at as particularly crucial in that matchup? Well, I always look at Zach Hunsaker as a guy for Brown that uh, puts a ton of pressure on you on the de- on the defensive end with his shooting. And 
what I noticed seeing him live on Friday night and then watching the game Saturday was that he's really aggressive. And whether that's because he's coming down the stretch of his senior year or whatever reason, he's not only looking for the three-point shot, but driving to his right, hitting fadeaways, getting into the paint. He's got to be in attack mode from, from the jump. And I think when he puts pressure on Harvard's defense, that's going to go a long way. But the problem uh, with preparing for Harvard, Bill, is that they're just so balanced that you just don't know who's going to hurt you. And especially coming off a weekend where you had a win where basically nobody scored 15 points. You had eight, nine guys scoring six, seven, eight, 12 points. I think they've really found that rhythm and that balance on the offensive end. All right. And then, uh, you know, for for the Brown squad, they then would have to go beat Dartmouth as well. And uh, that could end up being a crucial game, depending on what happens to Penn. For Penn, they have maybe the easiest formula in front of them, which is, hey, two games at home against Columbia and Cornell on home court at the Palestra. For Penn, if they take care of business this weekend, they should be an Ivy Madness. Yeah, and you know what? You've got Mike Smith to deal with. He's on a tear. He's scoring a ton of points, coming off a 34-point game. And then Cornell is really just kind of turned the corner in my mind in, in terms of how they're playing. Terrence McBride playing with a lot more confidence over the last few games. I don't think that's going to be an easy get out uh, either way. You know, I think both teams have a lot to play for um, in terms of, you know, their pride and, and just that it's another college basketball game. So those games where you think, all right, that that's kind of the pre Ivy league tournament era type of feel of a game where I could tell you, you would play teams that we're not, we're not going to win the league and it would be the hardest game of the year. So I expect those games to be really good down in the Palestra. Yeah, I think it's going to be going to be outstanding basketball. And, uh, uh, you know, you've got players, like you said, that are going to be finishing off their careers as well. So they'll, they'll want to go out and be spoilers. And then finally, if things break right, if uh, Harvard beats Brown on Friday, Saturday night, you'd get what would have been an old school, basically winner take all Ivy championship game still is going to be end up being winner take all for the Ivy title and for the number one seed at the uh, Ivy tournament presented by TIAA. Harvard and Yale. That was a spectacular game when they played in New Haven earlier this year. Harvard won 78-77. Uh, you saw some some guys really go off in that one. I, I'm I'm really psyched for that if, if, if it ends up playing out uh, Saturday night to be for the number one seed. I think that game is going to be tremendous. Yeah, and as you highlighted, the first game was spectacular. The crowd did a great job of showing up. You had stars performing at a high level. Noah Kirkwood with 18 in that game. Uh, Robert Baker up in double figures. Danilo Juricic came off the bench, got 17 for Harvard. And it was Azar Swain doing what he does for the Yale Bulldogs. Hit five threes in that game, got to the free throw line, dropped 33. And, you know, he was a little bit quieter this weekend. And when a guy like that, you know, only gets 10, 11 points, watch out because he's going to be looking for a shot. And you know that Eric Monroe and Jordan Bruner are going to be looking to set him up. Yeah, it's going to be going to be a heck of a basketball game. going to be a great week. And uh, then we get to come back together and, and talk about what's going to happen at Ivy Madness. Uh, I, I think we're in for two great weeks of basketball. And, uh, you know, one of those years where it, it there there may be a couple of favorites, Noah, but to me it feels like when we get to this Ivy Madness this year, it might be the first year where I feel like all four teams have a really legitimate chance to make the NCAA tournament uh, once, once we get there. Right, without a doubt. And, you know, this is a, a year where the Ivy League tournament – it just feels even more right than it than it usually does, right? Where you look at, for me, it's the top three teams 
could could have been if if a couple balls bounced a different way, could have all split one and one, right? So if Yale and Harvard end up splitting, then how do you have a favorite when you've basically potentially got one team won one time, another team won the second time, and here comes the third matchup. So there might be no clear favorite if Yale drops this game to Harvard. If Yale beats Harvard, you got to think Yale's the favorite headed into Ivy Madness. All right. Well, we forward to back next week to preview Ivy Madness. Uh, going to be a great weekend of basketball, so be sure that you're tuned in all weekend long. When we come back, Megan will hop in, and we've got lots to break down on the women's side as well. That's his road to Ivy Madness continues. All right, Megan Perry back in with me, Bill Spaulding. And uh, Megan, uh, let's start our weekly uh, Sing the Praises of Princeton portion of our uh, Road to Ivy Madness segment. Uh, starting with the midweek win against Penn last week, it was another just incredibly impressive performance this week for Princeton. Three wins. How about 80-44 to 44 over Penn? Just a crazy blowout. 81-39 over Brown and then 64-49 over Yale. Uh, let's not focus so much on each game individually because they all are kind of collective of what Princeton's been able to do all year long. Let's back it out now and look at 12 games in what they've been able to do by the numbers. It's wild. I mean, you you look at some of their league only numbers. They're giving up just 44 points a game in league play and they're winning Ivy league games by an average of 26 and a half points already this year. It's outstanding. I mean, we sing the praises of Princeton basketball every week because they are worthy of it. Um, it's fun. I like to watch greatness. And this is a team um, that is playing at an elite level. And you talk about the numbers to know that they are holding teams to just 44 points, 44.8 uh, to be to be specific with it uh, per game. That's discouraging, you know, uh, to anyone. As you look at the scouting report and thinking about ways that you might be able to contest, first you have to be able to score with them. Um, and 44 points is not going to get it done. Uh, secondly, um, you know, Princeton, the way that they're winning right now uh, is something that really – I think we have to sit back and enjoy it, enjoy it while it lasts because it's something to really marvel at. This team is dominant in every space on the floor. And at this point in time, I think they have definitely uh, separated themselves uh, from the pack. And it's really more about hoping that you can compete with them. Uh, I don't even really see that there are teams right now, um, as evidenced by their record, that are going to be able to beat them. This team is that good. Um, and I'm just really excited for people to finally start looking at Princeton as we get deeper into March and what they're going to do on the national scene. Because um, they have all the talent. They have all the right pieces. Um, you know, they're representing the Ivy League really well. Yeah, let's let's dive in even a little bit more to uh, you know why they're so good and and you know the defensive numbers are just wild. They are holding teams to thirty two percent in Ivy League play shooting, just twenty three percent from three. That those both lead the league. They also lead the league in rebounding margin, thirteen point one uh, rebounds to their advantage each game. Which again, think about that. They're out rebounding Ivy League teams by an average of thirteen rebounds a game. That's that's out of this world. Uh, you know, they, they, they have a plus six turnover margin per game in Ivy league play, which leads the league five and a half blocks a game leads the league 10.8 steals per game leads the league. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the physical skill this team has. They, they are big, they are long, they are athletic, but I think, you know, maybe we haven't talked enough about the, the mentality of this year's team and the fact that, 
you know, even if they're up 15, up 25, up 35, they just keep coming and they keep coming. And, uh, you know, that permeates from right out the top with Bella Allery and Carly Littlefield all the way down through, you know, players who are getting really limited minutes this year, it feels like. It does. And I think you have to shout out to those two um, just because it sets the tone. Um, and I think it does start with Bella Allery. I think she knows that she's a leader um, and often by example. And um, how she shows up, shows up oftentimes is how her team shows up. Um, and she's been consistent. And what I what I really like about this team, um, and if you have the opportunity to kind of like sit in and get close to them and just watch them. It's their communication, I think, that really sets them apart. The details, right? If we're going to break it all the way down, like look at the details of their rotations. Like they're hardly ever late um, closing out, right? They they don't take high, like very high risks um, all the time on the defensive end. Like they take care of the ball. Like this is a team that just values possession after possession, um, and they do an excellent job communicating with one another to minimize those mistakes. And I, I really just think it's something to marvel at. And and you. Know, you know, I, I say, Bill, I talk about UConn basketball and um, I've had the opportunity to sit in on some of those practices and understand kind of like, what does Gino Oriema do really well? It's, I think they practice hard. When I look at this Princeton team, they practice hard and their attention to the detail is what makes them the championship level caliber team that they are. Um, it, it is how they practice. It's their attention to detail that is separating them. And um, they ought to be applauded for it. I mean, look at what it's doing. It's, it has some undefeated in conference play. Yeah, it, it's it's been pretty impressive. I mean, they've had some really good years lately, obviously, with their uh, recent Ivy championships and Ivy Madness wins. But uh the way they're winning right now, I mean, they just look like a, a runaway train that uh, is going to have a hard time being stopped. If there's a team that's going to stop them, maybe it is these red hot Columbia Lions. Huge congratulations to Columbia. They're headed to Ivy Madness for the first time since uh, the league reinstituted the Ivy tournament on the women's side a few years back. Uh, Lions have now won six in a row after getting off to a bit of a slow start in league play. They sweep Harvard and Dartmouth over the weekend. Uh, let's start with the, the win against Harvard, 62-57. They had a huge fourth quarter. They'd only scored 42 points over the first three quarters. They scored 20 in the fourth quarter, and uh, they were really buoyed by Hannah Pratt, who had a big game off the bench. We haven't said her name much this year, but she scored 17 points in that win against Harvard. Well, I think what's really interesting and also scary about this Columbia Lions team, now that they have secured their spot in Ivy Madness, I would tell you, if I was coaching the team, I would be nervous about preparing for them because this team is so dynamic and you don't know what to expect. Like they are unpredictable. And um, the way that they're playing, they're having so much fun. And when you're like, you know, the first time to something, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So they are going to come in. They have nothing to lose, only something to gain. gain. And I think what I love about this team is that it's someone different every single night that's able to step up, right? Like we said, we haven't said the name Hannah Pratt hardly all season long, but like, look how she stepped up for her team, right? We know what Abby Shue can do. We know what Sienna Durr can do. It's the fact that it's a, an unpredictable threat that can arise and totally shake up your scouting report and throw you off that has this Columbia Lions team sitting pretty um, with the spot secured in Ivy Madness. And the other big key, and we've talked about it now for a couple of weeks, you know, early in this season, this Columbia team was scoring – uh, and in previous years, scoring pretty easily, but they were struggling to play defense. They have really gotten it together on defense. They were great on the defensive end against both Harvard and Dartmouth. And that Harvard game held the Crimson just 34% shooting. 
you know, you're never going to completely shut down Lola Mullaney, but they made her work for her shots. Uh, they've, they've gotten more physical and grittier, especially on the defensive end and on the glass. And that's been the big difference in this uh, six game win streak. They've, they've won games with defense. Yeah, they absolutely have. And I feel like there's a theme here, right? Like the teams that have, um, clinched their spot. There's been a commitment to the defensive end, right? For Princeton, for Columbia, for Penn. Um, but I think the difference in Columbia and their maturity and their growth has been how they've committed to the defensive end and, and making that a part of their culture, right? And what Coach Griffith has done has been so impressive because she's gotten buy-in from her players. She's like, look, guys, if we do this, if we're able to, you know, meet these benchmarks, like we're going to have these results. And like they bought into the concepts, they're practicing it and look at where they are. I mean, um, this team's got to be really excited about what they've been able to accomplish together and um, what they've been able to do specifically on defense has been remarkable. Boy, yeah, somebody should create a saying, something like, you know, defense wins championships or <laughs> something like that. You know, I can't believe no one's thought of that before. Uh, they played good, good, def- <laughs> play good defense against Dartmouth as well. They won 62-50 of that one. That's the game that officially locked up uh, Ivy Madness for Columbia. And uh, the third team to lock up Ivy Madness is Penn. They've Gotten off to a rough start uh, this week. They lost big to Princeton. They'd also lost to uh, to Yale. But but on Saturday they lock up an Ivy Madness spot with a seventy four to sixty win over Brown. Uh, you know they've still won eight of their last ten, so they're still in good shape heading toward Ivy Madness. I want to talk though about Yale because it's Yale who bolstered its Ivy Madness positioning with that big win Friday over Penn, 71-54. And that to me felt like a game where Roxy Berriman just decided, okay, I know we've got a good scoring balance generally, but this is a night where I need to be big. And she played like one of the best players in the league, scoring 29 points on Friday night to help Yale get that important win and put them two games ahead of Harvard for the, the fourth and final spot in Ivy Madness. Yeah, I think you're right about Roxy Behrman, which she decided it was time to take over, <laughs> quite frankly. And that's what some of the best players do. She has the capability. We know what she can do as far as being able to put the ball in the basket. 29 points. I mean, that that says enough. But then the five assists, I think, is what really got the job done. We know that she can score the ball. But when she's able to facilitate, get others involved uh, and make those conversions, that's when Yale really is at their best. Um, and, and that, I think, is, is critical in helping them um, you know, have an opportunity to to potentially lock in that fourth and final spot. She's not only got to score for their team, but she's got to be able to distribute and get others involved. All right, so let's look at the Ivy standings. Princeton 12-0. They have not just locked up the spot at the Ivy tournament. They have won the Ivy League championship, and uh, now they just have two wins standing between them and an undefeated regular season in Ivy play. Penn and Columbia at 8-4, and four, currently tied for second. Yale 7-5, and five, sitting in fourth, but only one game out of second. Harvard at five and seven, still alive, but two games back with two to play. They're going to need a lot to go right. Uh, Cornell, Dartmouth, and Brown have all been eliminated. Cornell and Dartmouth at three and nine, Brown at two and ten. Let's talk about that race for the final spot. So it's uh, Yale or Harvard with either one Yale win or one Harvard loss this weekend. Yale clinches that final spot. So what Harvard needs to happen is is Harvard needs to beat Brown on Friday and they need Dartmouth to beat Yale on Friday. If that happens, then the Harvard-Yale game on Saturday is a play-in game. If Harvard wins, they would get to 7-7, seven and seven, tied with Yale, and Harvard would have beaten Yale both times head-to-head. So the Crimson would make Ivy Madness. If Yale wins that game, then Yale would end ahead of Harvard in the standings. They'd get into Ivy Madness. So uh, let's, let's start with the Yale mindset going into this week. And... Uh, remember, Yale was in this situation last year. 
if uh, you went to the final weekend, they were in the driver's seat controlling their own destiny and uh, they saw it slip away. They had a tough weekend. They didn't get in. Cornell took the final spot instead. Um, how much do you expect that that experience kind of shapes how Yale's feeling this week, either as a positive of like, okay, we this year know the pressure we're going to feel and now we can execute it. Or is it a negative of the, uh-oh, last year it got away from us. Let's, let's uh, not have that happen again. This moment is everything for Yale. And I'm excited for them because they have the opportunity, as you said, to control their own destiny. It is a very familiar position. They know what the pressure feels like. They have a whole nother year of experience under their, their belt. Um, and I think that that works to their favor. Um, they got to recognize the moments in which they have to make the changes. But I think it is tough to keep a team like Yale that's so dynamic with such strong scoring power. It's like difficult to keep them down for more than one time you know like they need one win you 40 minutes of basketball that's how that I, I guarantee you they're looking at it let's play the best 40 minutes of basketball that we can and we will be on our way to ivy madness and i think this team is very capable of that it's a good position to be in to be able to call your own shots and define your own destiny if we do get to that saturday winner take all game between yale and harvard uh harvard beat yale when they played last month 66 57 and did it with defense they really slowed down all of the top tier Yale scorers, uh, what would you be looking for on Saturday if that game ends up being that monumental game to see who comes in? What do you think is the key differentiator in that game? Oh boy. Um, you know, I'll be standing in my little living room like the whole time, probably sweating. Um, but I will, uh, the differentiator I think is going to be, it's not going to be the first and second line on this gunning report, right? It's not about stopping and containing individual players. It's what are you going to do different? Um, I think for Harvard, the difference maker is going to be on the glass. It's going to be what are, are they going to be able to out rebound Yale? Are they going to be able to dominate the glass? Cause that says they're dominating the pace and tempo of the game. I think that's critical, uh, for Harvard. Um, if we'd have this matchup for you know I think that Yale would uh, absolutely be have to be mindful of not just what is Roxy Berryman doing but what are they getting on the inside what are they getting from Carly Innsborough what other balance are they going to be able to achieve they have to have more than one person dominate that game so for Yale just to sum it up they need balance for Harvard they've got to make it ugly they got to grind it out and they've got to dominate the the boards Um, and I think that will be the recipe for success for either team. And then finally, the other uh, games I'm really excited for this week, and I want to get your take on, I'm really interested to see how Columbia stacks up against both Princeton and Penn. They play uh, both those teams this weekend. Columbia's won six in a row. Uh, The Columbia-Penn game is a likely preview of the first uh, round game at Ivy Madness, the semifinal. Uh, And then obviously Princeton has been blowing everybody out. I, I just want to see how primed Columbia is to make noise at Ivy Madness. And they got an opportunity to kind of show that this week and, and serve some notice a week before they, they play in the tournament. Yeah, I think Columbia's got to be hyped about this. And I, I am excited about these matchups, although these teams um, have secured their spots um, in the postseason play. I think it's a great opportunity to kind of try some things new. I think from a coaching standpoint, um, you know, Columbia ha- and Coach Main Griffith have the opportunity to kind of say, all right, what combinations work, right? Get a little preview of, of some things that, that might be helpful um, might, or could be helpful to you once you get to Ivy Madness. And I think um, for a team like Princeton, you know, I think they've got to be on guard because they are the ones that have the most to lose in this whole thing. I think Princeton's going to be about trying to maintain their focus, not to let up, don't, and not to take any moment for granted because when you're riding high and it's been easy for so long, it's very easy to allow your guard to fall. The, the one positive for Princeton, particularly if they make it through this weekend still undefeated, is 
I think they have built such a resume that if they slipped up at Ivy Madness and didn't get the automatic bid, I think they are in a position where they'd still make the Ivy or the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. And we'd possibly be talking about two-bit Ivy, but obviously uh, they want they want the trophy. They want the auto bid. They want as good a seed as they can get. And there's been nothing so far to show us that that's not likely to happen with this Princeton team. But they've obviously built the resume where they likely have a little bit of uh, security built in here. Well, Megan, going to be a fun next week. And then uh, we really get to get excited about uh, everyone coming to Cambridge and the Ivy Basketball Tournament presented by TIAA, which is going to be all kinds of fun. Uh, coming up less than two weeks from now, about a week and a half from when uh, – we record this podcast and uh, this weekend to let us know what four teams will be competing. All right, when we come back, Noah and Megan will be back in with me and we'll let you know what you should be talking about around the water cooler. That's as we continue here on the Road to Ivy Madness. All right, Noah and Megan back in with me, Bill Spaulding, as we wind things down here on the Road to Ivy Madness. It's time to talk water cooler, what you should be talking about with your friends as we look at Ivy Hoops. And I'm just going to talk about, you know, teams that are hot at the right time. So we always talk about that. The biggest key is to be playing your best at the end of the year. Let's talk Harvard men and Columbia women. Both had some early Ivy League adversity. Now they're both red hot. Harvard and Columbia have each won six consecutive games. They've punched their tickets to Ivy Madness. And uh, because they're as hot as they are, they're going to be tough outs at Ivy Madness. Megan, your headline. Yeah, my big headline, uh, you know, has to do with, you can probably guess, the Columbia Lions. Congratulations to Columbia. This is their first time in 34 years. I mean, 34 years, guys, I'm 34 years old. So right back in 1985, um, you know, the world was drastically different. This is the first time they've been um, in postseason play at the Division One level. Um, so congratulations to them. An incredible feat for this program. And I'm really excited to see how they will perform because, Bill, I think that this is obviously one of the hottest teams teams in the league, one of the most dynamic and a tough out in Ivy, Ivy Madness. And of course, by headline, you picked it up so well. I meant water cooler topic and you were all over it. Now, uh, Professor Savage, the floor is yours for your final regular season water cooler topic of the season. Well, I'm going to take it back to just setting up a debate for the water cooler, Bill. It, it's I can't remember a time covering this league where there's been a tougher player of the year race for me because you've got Jordan Bruner, who's on the first place Yale Bulldogs, who's basically in the top five of a million categories, whether it's blocks, assists, scoring, rebounding. And then on Penn, A.J. Broder, as a big guy, is leading the league in assists, is second in rebounding, is a top five scorer. You've got two of the most balanced big guys and versatile big guys I've ever seen. And oh, by the way, Paul Atkinson might be Yale's best player. So for me, it comes down to those three bigs who are you going to reward the 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 guy who is the most versatile or the guy who's the most consistent for the first place team or a guy who is just an unbelievable player? I mean, you look at the stats and you watch him play. A.J. Broder is unbelievable. So if I'm hanging around the water cooler, I'm probably having that conversation this week. Right, I'm going to give you some homework next week. We're going to have a discussion. You're going to decide who who you're voting for. So that's that's think on that through this wow. weekend and how things play out. But but next week you're letting us know who who your pick is. Wow, in that group. tough, very tough. Okay. All right. Reminder that you can get the road to Ivy Madness wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, and we'll have uh, at least a couple additional episodes. We'll have an Ivy Madness episode next week to get you ready for the Ivy Championship. We'll also have an episode heading into the NCAA tournament. We'll 
follow Ivy teams as deep as they go in the way Princeton's been playing on the women's side. Who knows? Maybe uh, we have a couple more episodes in front of us. So we'll be back next week. We'll have our Ivy Madness field set, and we'll be ready to really dive into what's going to be a great weekend in Princeton in a couple weeks. Great weekend in Cambridge, excuse me, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but a good weekend ahead here in the regular season of Ivy basketball to finish things off as well. For Noah, Megan, Bill Spalding saying so long and enjoy your week of Ivy Hoops.